Labyrinths is brought to you by Knox Robinson Productions. Please consider becoming a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you can listen to Labyrinths ad-free. Visit patreon.com slash Robinson to learn more. Whoa, boo. <laughs> Look at this. I'm having a party for vaccinated, recently tested people at my place if you want to meet a bunch of strangers. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. What do the details say here? Spring's here. Fuck the pandemic. Let's have a rager. When was the last time you went to a rager? I mean, a rager? That wasn't even really my vibe before the pandemic. I don't know, though. Like... You want to go. <laughs> what a way to end the pandemic, right? <laughs> yeah, something about it just gives me the creepy crawlers. <laughs> okay, well, lean in. <laughs> we can talk about it. Feeling lost? Then you're in the right place. I'm Amanda Knox. And I'm Christopher Robinson. And this is, is Labyrinths. It shouldn't be surprising that the idea of a party gives me the creepy crawlies. We have, after all, been living in the shadow of COVID-19 for the last year. But it's more than just the coronavirus. Humans have been facing the threat of disease since the agricultural revolution, over 10,000 years ago. The first known influenza epidemic likely occurred in China around 6,000 BC. Infectious disease has been with us since humans left behind our hunter-gatherer lifestyle and domesticated plants and animals. Cultivating crops and keeping livestock required more permanent settlements. And with permanence and increased density, parasites and germs leapt from animals to humans. This was compounded by a near total lack of good sanitation practices. Humans didn't really figure out the don't shit where you eat principle until the 1850s, when pioneering epidemiologist John Snow identified fecally contaminated drinking water as the source of a devastating cholera outbreak. Disease has always been enabled by population density, which is why social distancing is the first response to a pandemic. And yet, we are so bad at social distancing. Perhaps that's because we evolved living in close proximity with our small tribal groups. It's natural to be close to other humans. When you scale this up with civilization, the burden of disease comes with it. And when you scale it down to total isolation in the face of a pandemic, well, it's like being thrown in solitary. I was kept in isolation during my first eight months in prison. In that time, I forgot what it was like to be touched in a kind way. My friend once brushed an eyelash from my face during visitation, and I flinched. This is all to say that isolation changes a person. The year of social distancing we've all lived through has undoubtedly changed us. Well, how have you changed, personally? By virtue of being home so much, it's made me feel 
much more aware of whether or not I feel like I have a community in my immediate vicinity. Hmm. What about you? I feel like it's led me to really examine how I use my time. Hmm. We've always been busy. We're always in some state of precariousness in regards to our financial realities, which is fine. I've gotten used to that over the decade. But I often told myself that I don't have 10 minutes to spare. Mm-hmm. I got to work. I got to hop too and hustle, hustle, hustle. And I've realized through meditating each morning that that 10 minutes is so worth it. And it, I feel like I was crazy to have ever thought that I couldn't spare that 10 minutes to do that or to go on a walk after dinner. That feels very important to me. And it's made me realize that I've been choosing how to use my time in ways that didn't serve me in the past. It's going to be really interesting to see where people fall along this line. I think there are probably two kinds of responses to the pandemic. Either you entrench yourself more in the digital world and become a screen person even more than you were before the pandemic, or you've just been screened out Hmm. and you become way more present in the physical reality that you live in. And I think we fall in the latter camp. Yeah. Both of these camps are going to have interesting issues walking into a world where that social space of strangers and society and idea sharing is going to be in reality again. Well, we're vaccinated. We are vaccinated. Society is reopening. Whether we like it or not. Yeah, I mean, I had an awkward experience the other day. My parents came to visit and we said, oh, well, we'll make you lunch. And they said, well, why don't we go out to lunch? And I was just flabbergasted. What "What are you talking about? (laughs) But the little restaurant nearby is open. And so we walked down there. And the first thing they said was, it'll be 20 minutes. (laughs) And I was just like, what? No, I don't want that. That's a part of the old times. <laughs> and then, of course, another group of people walked in the door. And then another group of people walked yeah, in the door. Yeah, you were very uncomfortable. And I suddenly felt surrounded by people. Mm-hmm. And I had to get out of there. And there were maybe 12 people. But I kind of had the first inklings of a panic moment. And I, I just couldn't be in there. And I wonder to what degree that kind of agoraphobia is going to be a widespread social issue. How many people have that and to what degree? I know some people, far more than us, have been living cooped up in tiny apartments. Yeah. Are they going to be agoraphobic or agoraphilic? Hmm. So desperate for attention that maybe we're going to have some STDs spreading around or something. I don't know. Well, however the world is going to be, we're going to be shoved into it rather quickly Mm -hmm. because someone we know invited us to a party. Yes. I think she described it as we're all needing to breathe into each other's mouths. (laughs) Spring's here. Fuck the pandemic. Let's have a rager. That's right. And rager is not really the description of a kind of party I would want to go to anyway, even prior to the pandemic. Mm. If there's a keg somewhere, that is a sign that I probably don't want to be at that party. (laughs) (laughs) And who knows if it's going to be a keg rager. I know. But... 
Still, it is definitely a party with lots of people who we don't know, all of whom have been confirmed to be vaccinated. It's a vaccination-only party. Vaccination-only party. And I'm often awkward in social scenarios where I don't know people. And this is, I suppose, a test of whether or not that's changed at all for me, having been largely isolated for a year. I have a little bit of anxiety about going to this event. I do, too, just because I'm me. So is this wise to leap into the deep end like this? I think the jumping into the deep end is a good story. What can I say? You know, I'm really curious about how we've changed, not just how society has changed and will change. And I think it's really hard to know until you put yourself out there and test yourself. So going to this rager of a party is putting our new pandemic-altered selves into the cauldron, (laughs) right? To see how we react. Well, I think the only thing to say is, let's go. (laughs) Let's go to a party? Let's go to a party. Weird. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like we might never come back. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning in. This podcast is only possible thanks to listener support. So please consider becoming a patron. Visit patreon.com slash Knox Robinson. Okay, we've got our face tattoos on. (laughs) Yep. We're appropriately blinged up in our fur coats. That's right. My shiny and our scale stickers and <laughs> shoulders. And getting close to this party. How are you feeling? A little excited. Also, I have no idea what to expect. Yeah, I guess I'm open for anything, I guess. <laughs> and we can always leave if it feels uncomfortable. What about you? What are you feeling? Yeah, I guess I'm kind of excited, too. It's been a long time since I've been in any sort of space where you're just meeting new people, even. Yeah. Right? And this is going to be all new people. All new people. Uh, (laughs) Weird. Gosh, I hope this isn't a big mistake. Well, it's going to be what it is. Yeah. We arrived around 3 p.m. A few dozen people were there in various states of glitter there were small circles of people talking. Someone had brought an infant, which immediately set me at ease. Down hallways and in bedrooms, newly arrived guests were glamming up, applying makeup and donning costumes. The dress code for the party had read, festive, flamboyant, excruciatingly excessive. Amanda wore flowing pantaloons, had bedazzled her midriff, and wore a gold radiant crown made of painted zip ties, I had on my gold scale male shoulder armor and wore a large pendant I'd made from a translucent replica of human foot bones. There were a few nipple pasties on display, someone dressed as a warlock, and at one point a super fit gymnast wearing hot pants and a bow tie, looking like a Chippendales dancer, did some impressive handstands over a stairwell railing. 
As the night wore on, the music got louder, and eventually the whole scene took on that now strange but deeply familiar character of a house party. Field notes here at the first rager of the new era. <laughs> I didn't know, ever know what a rager was supposed to be like, but this has actually been quite pleasant. We've had some great conversations with people and realized that everyone here is pretty much new to everyone else. And in fact, I think everyone's just kind of pleased to be around other people so much that it almost feels like they're not taking for granted the fact that, like, people are in the room with them. So they're more conscientious of being mindful of how people are feeling. Or maybe it's just a a party with nice people. I think I am also appreciating the value of having positive interactions with strangers. Hmm. Which is something you struggle with. Yeah, it's not my favorite thing. Yeah. We know nobody. We know nobody. Not even really the person who invited us. (laughs) (laughs) Although I had a nice conversation with her on the floor over there. Yeah? Yeah. It's the kind of party where you can be on the floor and that's all right. Yeah. I'm into that kind of party. By that point, We'd already had an in-depth conversation about geopolitics with a man dressed in a lavender leotard and thigh-high stockings, the outfit of the lead female character in the anime film Ghost in the Shell. We ran into him again and pulled out the recorder. I definitely get a significant amount of joy from kind of low-stakes, positive interactions with strangers, Mm. you know, or acquaintances. Um, that's definitely something that I've missed yeah. quite a bit during the pandemic. And so now that I'm vaccinated uh, and I'm invincible and I can get <laughs> all the toilets that I want, uh, maybe I'll focus less on the toilet looking and more on the... The chit-chat. <laughs> hugging yeah. and chit-chat and yeah. just interacting in some way. Yeah. It feels good. Like, random-ass positive some interactions with strangers are awesome. Whether it's talking about whatever subject they or I might want to rant about for some minutes. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, appreciating one another's physicality. Y'all are both beautiful, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> I actually had a moment where we were all sitting in a circle earlier playing that card game and the girl next to me was just she was like, oh my God, we touched each other. I got a little like bump from that. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't even ask. Like, I should remember now that, like, touching someone means even more now than it does before. It is a a big shift. We're not used to that anymore. It's a zing. (laughs) (laughs) Hugging people, just touching them is great. You know, consensually, obviously. (laughs) What makes hugging so amazing? A neuropeptide called oxytocin which is released in large amounts while embracing another human. Oxytocin plays a role in social bonding behaviors in many mammals, not just humans. But for us, it's especially important for pair bonding. That positive feeling you get when you socialize, meet a stranger, make eye contact, touch someone in a friendly or intimate way, that's oxytocin. And it's responsible for human in-group bonding. It's what makes someone feel like they're part of your tribe, on your team. It's pivotal in creating feelings of empathy, generosity, and trust. Even more than alcohol, it's the drug that makes a party a party. We just happen to produce it in our own heads. And it's a primary reason that social distancing has been so painful over the course of the pandemic. 
One researcher, Paul J. Zak, measured oxytocin changes in people using social media and found that our best substitute, video conferencing, where we can at least make eye contact, is about 80% as effective at producing oxytocin as in-person interactions. Which explains why video chat exploded over the course of the pandemic. We need oxytocin, and tweets and likes are no substitute for actual eye contact. Even better, hugs. As we were talking with our new friend in the leotard, a young woman with jewels bedazzling her forehead came and sat next to us for no other reason than that we were people, and she too needed a zap of oxy. So what's it like to be at a party? I definitely feel totally safe, and I also think there's something nice about the element of, like, you're not really supposed to be at a party. Like, I don't feel like anybody really wants to be seen at a party, so it's like you really are going for, like, the genuine human connection. There's not people, like, taking Instagram stories here, like, I've really been missing the new people, so I think that's what's feeling. I'm missing it a lot. And you just came in from Austin? I just came up here from L.A. You explicitly came up here from L.A. for a party. Have you ever traveled somewhere that far to go to a party before? Um, I would. I probably wouldn't fly it to New York City just for a weekend, but just up to Seattle for a weekend. Yeah. Do you notice if you have changed personally in any important ways over the course of the pandemic? Have you let go of any behaviors or attitudes that you don't find useful anymore? Yeah, like there was just a lot of like upheaval that happened for me, like professionally and like personally, right at the same time as the pandemic. So yeah, I feel like I feel like a completely different person coming out of this. All right, well, we're at a party, and what do you do at a party but go dance? Let's go. <laughs> it's a dance party. We probably can't use this because of copyright purposes. Coming from pandemic land, dancing felt especially profane forbidden. It's also, with its physical touch, eye contact, and group coordination, a major oxytocin boost. I hadn't danced in so, so long. Not like that. In a room full of strangers, getting to know someone first and foremost by how they move, not what they say. It was exhilarating. After a while, we wandered back upstairs and found our friend in the anime leotard, who had just arranged to arm wrestle with the Chippendale gymnast. We followed them into a bedroom as they squared up at a table. We're now having an impromptu arm wrestling match yes. about to take place at the first rager of the new world. Yeah, just going off of like bicep size, I do think I have them slightly edged out. I think you got the advantage on this one. Yeah, okay, so we're gonna go. All right, so what's the rule on the uh, other hands? Do we, do we like hold hands under the table? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. This let's feels let's aim yeah. to do just mostly arm and not yeah. wrist stuff. Okay. Mostly arm and not wrist stuff. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, ready, steady, yeah. go. We're solidly in the middle here. See the table shaking. Yeah. Convulsing on both sides. Um, it is. <laughs> can we say stalemate? <laughs> It's like, like we're like perfectly matched. I think you're gonna win. 
Should we just call it? That was good. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Damn, that was intense. Mutual disarmament there. That's a rare feat. Thank you, my friend. And a hug. It ends in a hug, like all good arm wrestling matches should. Yeah. That was great. I did not know how that was going to end. Oh, man. That is. Was that satisfying? It was. It was really good. Yeah. He was so friendly, but I really like him. I'm unexpectedly satisfied. How many times do you arm wrestle and it ends in a draw? Not very often. Ever? I've never seen that. I think, honestly, you probably would have won over time. It makes sense in some way, though, because um, you can offer a draw in a lot of other games. In chess, you can offer a draw, so why not arm wrestling? It's a zero-sum game. Yeah. Absolutely. That was another new friend who'd wandered into the bedroom. What do you hope really comes back that you've been missing, and what do you hope society can leave behind? I think uh, fewer things have changed than people hmm. projected at first, which is not surprising to me. What we should be learning from this is there are things that we did not foresee, or that we did not prepare adequately for. So we should prepare adequately for the next pandemic, right? and all the other things that we did not prepare adequately for. <laughs> Generalize the lesson, yeah. you know? I am not so confident that we will generalize the lesson here. For me personally, COVID was probably the best thing that happened. It provided me a ton of space to learn about things. Going into the pandemic, I was very, I had this frustration with my dating life in the back of my head. And I was like, okay, I need to build this community so that I can eventually attract someone who will become my mate. And ironically, through the pandemic, because there was nothing going on and there was no FOMO, I got to live out my values and what I really enjoyed learning about. Mm -hmm. And then it made meeting and attracting women much easier after that because I knew what I valued and I was coming from a place of like searching for compatibilities as opposed to please accept me. Right. Because um, the please accept me is not sexy, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a girl in the room nodding. <laughs> um, you like don't I was strike doing, me as the type of person yeah, no, it was that doing would ever be that bad. Yeah, it was doing <laughs> fine, but like, at least if you're in my head, you can notice a distinct shift. And now I am trying to take those lessons forward. Did you fly up here for this party? Yeah. <laughs> it's, you can't get over that people flew up here for this party. <laughs> yeah. Has it revealed anything to you about yes. what the world's going to be like going forward or how you want to be in it? Well, I think it reveals that a lot of my doubts about my personal life are kind of unfounded. Hmm. So it's very just confidence boosting. This party in particular? Yeah. What, yeah. what happened that was confidence boosting? I met this great girl and we had like a really great connection and um, we were talking and making out and uh, it was just so forthright. Like We started just cuddling. And then yeah. I started asking questions and then we just kind of did like a back and forth like interview thing while we were cuddling and then just progressively found out like, shit, we're so compatible. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. And it's less about her specifically, but more about like, oh, I'm just really happy with how I navigated that, you know, with respect, but also assertiveness, those awesome. two things. Yeah. Would it be appropriate for me to high five you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Boom. <laughs> yeah.
it's uh, gosh, 11.15 and we're leaving this party. Yeah, I don't usually stay up this late. <laughs> no, you're usually a pumpkin by 9 p.m. But that was super fun. I'm so glad we went. We were just like hanging out with a bunch of people who were all really smart and also liked to get dressed up with sparkles, which I can relate to. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it was a good party. I thought it was great. Yeah, there was good dancing, there was good conversation. Honestly, I can't tell you how long it's been, even prior to the pandemic, that I was at a house party in a scenario where it's like, oh, here's a bedroom that's open, and I'm now in this bedroom talking to a stranger. Right, sitting on someone's bed. Yeah, it's a very intimate experience totally. that you can have with someone you don't know. Yeah. And I think that is one of the special things that a party can do, a good party anyway. Right. Put you in contact in a safe and in an intimate way with fellow humans that you have never met before and who you may never meet again. Totally. That's a special thing that I didn't know that I missed. There's this um, wonderful blue-haired lady who asked me if I, it would be okay to give me a hug. And after she gave me a hug, she was like, you're number 26. <laughs> I'm trying to hug everyone. <laughs> She's like, I haven't been able to hug anyone for a year, and now I'm up to 26 people in one night. How great is that? You know, although I think there are probably plenty of people out there who would think that we just took an unreasonable risk. Yeah. And that it's irresponsible of us to go hug a bunch of people at a party, even though we've all been vaccinated. Yep. What do you think about that? I understand why someone feels that way. I'm definitely going to spend a few days at home just to make sure that I'm not showing any symptoms of anything. But I also feel like at a certain point, there's a line of when it's okay again. And vaccination seems like a pretty clear line to me. Like everyone at that party was fully vaccinated. Yeah. I also think there might be something to the notion that the people who are hesitant to get vaccinated aren't going to jump on the vax bandwagon if they're being told that even after getting vaccinated, they still have to social distance and wear masks. At that point, I kind of feel like the messaging is a big issue. Hmm. Like, let us know that the world is going to be okay again and we can finally have human contact for real. Hmm. It's a real thing and it's an important thing. It bonds us. Hmm. A few days after the party, we called up the host to get her reflections on the event. Thanks so much again for inviting us to your party. What made you want to throw a rager at the tail end of the pandemic? <laughs> I mean, you, I was itching for it. I just really desperately wanted to be breathing the same air as a bunch of other people again, and to be like moving your body to music and having that really connective experience just see strangers. Like I had seen some people over the pandemic, but almost always they were people who I knew well enough that I could trust their quarantine protocol. Hmm. And so I didn't predict the fact that I would really, really want to interact with people I didn't know very well. What percentage of the party guests were new to you? Maybe 40%. That's pretty A respectable that's pretty amount. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you two were, were new to me also. So and that was just really nice. One guy told us that he thought there were 
a significant number of neuroatypical people or maybe people on the autism spectrum at the party. Is that also your read on the sort of demographics of the people who attended? Yeah, I would say definitely higher than average. A lot of the people who came were from the rationality community. Maybe like half of the people who I had already known were from the rationality community. And a lot of them are probably on the autism spectrum, at least more than average. The rationalist community is made up of people committed to noticing and overcoming their own cognitive biases, to thinking more clearly. I was introduced to the community in prison when a member printed out and sent me chapters of Eliza Yukowski's fan fiction, Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. Typically with my parties, my ideal ratio of rationalist and non-rationalist is about like 30% rationalist, 70% non-rationalist. <laughs> because if you have like too much rationality community, they sort of uh, pull down the, the very fun, peppy nature of the party into, you know, to be fair, a very fun, <laughs> uh, heavy discussion about like AI risk, which is, can be very fun also. But <laughs> I can have that online. You know, I can't have the, the physical aspect of the party online. Mm-hmm. Right. But they did great. They wore great outfits and... It was a lot of dancing. It was really nice to see them sort of emerge like that. Yeah, I almost wonder if a really key aspect of it was the costume. Yeah, I learned this from a friend of mine who threw really great parties for years, and I sort of attended them and saw these things that he would insist on in the party that I didn't understand why. Like, he would make dress codes mandatory. I'm like, why would you do that? You know, Hmm. dress codes don't really matter, right? But over time, I came to appreciate how, like, really important that sort of thing is. It feels a little bit like a ritual. Hmm. It's not just a party, it's a ritual. Hmm. And we're here to like perform these sort of sacred, arbitrary, but kind of meaningful steps in order to create a shared experience. And you have to fully opt in in order to make it work. You can't half-ass a ritual, you know? Well, if it is a ritual, what were you conjuring? (laughs) That's a great question. I kind of wanted to like drop out of the mind and go into the body a little bit. The pandemic felt very like mind-oriented to me because a lot of the ways that we interacted were through words on the screen and very little like feeling vibes in person, sort of like the sensations in your physical body Hmm. as you share a physical space with somebody else. So if there was anything that we were celebrating, I really wanted it to be shutting off the mind, finally, to allow the physical space to take over. We left the party a a little before midnight because Amanda's a sleepy person. (laughs) Um, But how late did it go and how late were you cognizant? I managed to keep it together until about 4 a.m. I fell asleep in the middle of the living room. But apparently people were going until dawn. Wow. Wow. People told me there were about like two hours of downtime between like when the last people went to sleep and when people started waking up. So it was almost an all-nighter. Did you have any hesitations about leaping into the deep end of in-person social life? Because we certainly did when we got your party invite. I I guess. (laughs) I, I felt like frustrated with the idea of like, doing only 10 people, like, but you could have everybody. I think it was just so desperate. But maybe you felt it too. Like the first couple hours of the party, I felt incredibly awkward, <laughs> like a level of awkwardness unprecedented since my teen years. <laughs> did, you, did you feel this as well? I mean, definitely, but I just sort of associated that with me being me. <laughs> I didn't feel awkward at the beginning. Yeah, you felt good? Yeah, I don't know. I I kind of had a lot of anxiety going into the party, but once it's a lot like getting up on stage. You have butterflies beforehand, but as soon as I'm there and talking, it's easy. Hmm. For me, anyway. 
Did I seem awkward? No. (laughs) Both of you seemed remarkably composed. (laughs) I remember thinking, wow, they're so good at speaking the right words at the right time. So what, uh, do you feel like it was a success? What are the big takeaways? I think it was a great success. Takeaways, I want to do it again. (laughs) I want to do more. I met so many cool people. And now I just sort of want to keep the snowball rolling. So I'm probably going to throw another one, which you're absolutely invited to. I would love if you came. Yay! Yeah, and <laughs> and the dress code was fantastic. It made me think a lot more about like the kinds of things you can throw. Got a lot of dancing in too. So good exercise. What are your hopes and fears for the newly reopened world? What do you hope really comes back? Oh. And what do you hope society can leave behind? That's a great question. I, I really hope that we get to experience life with more gratitude. Hmm. It felt kind of like having sex for the first time or if you've ever been injured and you had to like stay in bed and then you finally get out and go outside for the first time. Like the sense of really raw, new hyper-awareness for all of the stimuli that's coming in, like you're so sensitive to it. Hmm. I assume that the world is probably going to have this general oversensitization to everything, to like each other. And I hope that goes really well. <laughs> I hope people like each other a lot more. I think it's going to happen. Like we're going to realize how important it is to have connection with other people. Mm. And I hope it goes well and not like the other way where people are, are more sensitive in a negative way. Well, it was kind of proof of concept for us, I think. Everyone yeah. seems so present with each other and so grateful for the presence of other kind, intelligent people in their lives. That's a thing I've been hoping too. And like seeing that in action at the party really gave me a lot of hope that it might actually happen. Yeah. So We had like 80, 90 people at the party, and I think I've seen eight photos total. Hmm. <laughs> people are asking, like, did anybody take photos? And just nobody did because nobody was on their phones. Yeah. yeah. Which was really lovely. Uh, also kind of frustrating in hindsight. But. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't have photos from that night, but we did take home some great memories and the seeds of some new friendships. But that wasn't the only thing we took from the party. A week after the event, we realized that Chris had brought home something in his lungs. And now I'm feeling kind of phlegmy and congested, and I'm starting to panic that maybe I somehow got COVID, even though I've been vaccinated. So we're doing our due diligence and going to get tested. Moderna is 92% effective. Two weeks after the second dose. That's one in 10. Right. One in 10 people exposed to the virus who still get it after being vaccinated. It's not great. But also, everyone else in that party had been vaccinated. I feel like you're being a bit paranoid, but I think it's the right thing to do to get tested. Maybe I am being paranoid. It might also mean that there's a lasting paranoia here that I'm going to carry with me that maybe a lot of people are going to carry with them into the future because COVID did such a number on our psyches. Right. Getting sick no longer has the same connotations. Yeah. Now I'm worried. Am I going to kill someone by spreading this? If you become a hypochondriac, (laughs) I'm going to be really upset. (laughs) We're going to have to put you in therapy. Yeah. Well, off to the testing center. Let's go. Hello. Good. All right, you guys done this before? Yes. Any questions? Uh, I don't think so. All right. You ready? Yep. All right, Amanda. You ready? Yeah. 
to try and keep you relaxed as best you can. <laughs> You're all set. <laughs> Thank you. Do you tissue or are you good? I think I'm good. Fingers crossed. Have a good day. You too. <laughs> Some people really stick it back in your brain, don't they? Yeah. Whew. Let's hope we don't have COVID. Ugh. I hope that's the last time I have to do that. Yeah, that'd be great. Our results came back the next morning. I scanned mine. Okay, hold on, I'm scanning mine. Okay. Yep. Negative. Negativo. Okay, so I'm just paranoid. Yep. <laughs> You're a hypochondriac now. Congratulations. <laughs> I suspect I'm not the only one taking this health paranoia into the new world. We'll likely have a generation that always keeps a bottle of hand sanitizer close, that masks up whenever they feel a sniffle. And I bet I'm not the only one who's been jonesing for some oxytocin and is ready to go on a hugging spree. And you know what the virtual equivalent of a bear hug is? What? A five-star review on <laughs> Apple Podcasts. <laughs> In the meantime, stay tuned for our official second season. We've got some wild stories and exciting guests lined up. From LA's premier dominatrix to one of the survivors of the 1972 plane crash in the Andes Mountains, to authors Sam Harris and Michael Pollan and mycologist Paul Stamets. We'll be digging into the satanic panic with the stories of the West Memphis Three and the San Antonio Four and looking into the complicated ethics of true crime journalism with the missing persons case of Maura Murray. We'll also be taking you on some intensely personal and intimate journeys. That's all we can say for now, but you might find some hints if you head over to knoxrobinson.com where you can find out how to become a subscriber and get access to a host of awesome stuff. Like weekly bonus debates between Chris and me about important moral questions, our personal recommendations for books, music, and film, and monthly live Q&As for patrons only. So come on, get lost with us. Find us on Twitter, at ManUnderBridge. At Amanda Knox. This episode was written by us, edited and sound designed by Chandler Mays, with theme music by Josh Budo Karp. We should do like an Easter egg for Chandler. Like a freestyle rap about how he's a dope audio engineer? <laughs> Shout out to our man Chandler, our EQ sound design handler. Late night burning both ends, Candler. <laughs> Drop a sound effect like he cut the chain on a chandelier. Our exemplar of a sampler. What do you think, Commander? Mr. Mays? He's got plugins for days. Takes a razor blade to my ums. Makes me sound crisp when he DSs my lisp and dehums my hums. Deep pops my peep puffs. Now I sound smooth when I say stuff. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a, you got another career here. No, I don't. <laughs> Fun fact, for every hour of labyrinths you enjoy, we put in dozens of hours researching, outreaching, interviewing, scripting, editing, and audio engineering. What keeps us going? Coffee. coffee. So if you're enjoying labyrinths, please buy us a coffee. Head over to patreon.com slash Robinson, where you can make a monthly donation. 
Thanks for getting lost with us.